So, on the first episode of the Butterfly Empire, we are going to do the Zodiac Killer. Murders he did, the letters he wrote, all a big fat mystery. So, it all starts where he claimed to have taken 37 lives, but only seven of them have been confirmed by the investigators. Two of his victims are even known to have survived his attacks. However, what generates more curiosity? Here is not the series of the murders that he claimed to have carried out, but the series of the letters that he used to send out. These letters have cryptogram designs mysteriously jumbled up in his own words. Out of the four cryptograms that he made public, only one has been decoded so far. And one of his mysterious coded letters, which by the way is yet to be solved, he revealed that he would not give out his name because that will increase his chances of getting caught, which ultimately would mean that he would not be able to increase his collection of slaves, aka dead bodies, after his afterlife. Victims, which are five confirmed dead, two injured, possibly 20 to 28 total dead, but he's claimed to have killed 37. And all of this humbo jumbo and span of crimes happened between the 1960s and the 1970s. In the United States, California, and possibly Nevada, people have stated. The Zodiac Killer, who operated in North Carolina, California, from at least the late 1960s to the early 1970s. The unidentified killer originated the name in a series of taunting letters and cards sent to San Francisco's Bay Area Press. These letters included four cryptograms or ciphers. The Zodiac murder murdered five known victims. Venezia, Valho, Napa County, and San Francisco respectively. If I pronounce one of those phones, I apologize. <laughs> Between 1968 and October 1969, he targeted young couples with two of the men surviving attempted murder. He also murdered a male cab driver. The Zodiac himself once claimed to have murdered 37 victims and has been linked to several other cold cases. The San Francisco Police Department marked the case inactive in April 2004, but reopened it at some point prior to March 2007. And the case also remains open in most of the cities that he killed in. The California Department of Justice has maintained an open case file on the Zodiac murders since 1969. And the last lovely, I shouldn't say last, but the description of the confirmed murders. I guess you could say it's the last of them. <laughs> Although the Zodiac claimed to have murdered 37 people in letters to the newspapers, investigators agreed on only seven confirmed victims, two of whom survived. So yeah, I guess you could say the last. <laughs> And they were David Arthur Faraday, 17 years old, Bailey Lou Jensen, 16, 
years old, shot and killed on December 20, 1968, on Lake Herman Road, within the city limits of Benicia. The other one is Michael Renault Mexico. Mexico? I don't know. <laughs> I'm just here to tell a story. Don't judge me. 19 years old and Darlene Elizabeth Farron, 22, shot on July 4th, 1969 in a parking lot of Blue Rock Springs Park in Vallejo. While Michael survived the attack, Darlene was pronounced dead on arrival at Kaiser Foundation Hospital. More, Brian Calvin Hartnell, 20 years old, and Selenia Ann Shepard, 22, stabbed on September 27, 1969, at Lake Vericia in Napa City. Hartnell survived eight stab wounds to the back, but Shepard died as a result of her injuries on September 29, 1969. Um, Paul Lee Stein, 29, shot and killed on October 11, 1969 in Frisito Heights neighborhood in San Francisco. And in the next part of this, you get the lovely details of the murder victims. First two, David Arthur Faraday and Betty Lou Jensen. This comes from the Lake Herman Road murders. The first murders widely attributed to the Zodiac Killer were the shootings of high school students Betty and David on December 20th, 1968 on Lake Herman Road, just inside Renincia city limits. The couple were on the first date and planned to attend a Christmas concert at Hogan High School, about three blocks from the Jensen's home. They instead visited a friend before stopping at a local restaurant and then driving out to Lake Herman Road at about 10.15 p.m. Faraday parked his mother's Rambler in the gravel turnout, which was a well-known lover's lane. Shortly after 11 p.m., their bodies were found by Stella Boggers, who lived nearby. The Solano Country Sheriff's Department investigated the crime, but no leads developed. Utilizing available forensic data, Robert Graysmith figured out that another car pulled into the turnout just prior to 11 p.m. and parked behind the couple. The killer had, had then exited the second car and walked towards the Rambler, possibly ordering the couple out of it. It appeared that Jensen had exited the car first, but when Faraday was halfway out, the killer shot him in the head. The killer then shot Jensen five times in the back as she fled. Her body was found 28 feet from the car. Then the killer drove off. And here we introduce the Blue Rock Springs murder. Just before midnight on July 4, 1969, Darlene Farron and Michael drove into the Blue Rock Springs Park in Vallejo, four miles from the Lake Herman Road murder sites, and parked. While the couple sat in Farron's car, a second car drove into the lot and parked outside them, but almost immediately drove away. Returning about 10 minutes later, the second car parked behind them. The driver of the second car then exited the vehicle, approaching the passenger side door of Farron's car. Carrying a flashlight and a 9mm luggage, the killer decided 
the flashlight into Michael's and Darlene's eyes before shooting at them, firing five times. Both victims were hit, and several bullets had passed through Michael and into the Darlene. The killer walked away from the car, but upon hearing Michael's mourning, returned and shot each victim twice more before driving off. On July 5, 1969, at 12.40 a.m., a man phoned the police department to report and claim responsibility for the attack. The caller also took credit for the murders of Jensen and Faraday, which was six and a half months earlier. Police traced the call to a phone booth at a gas station at Springs Road, I'm just going to try pronouncing this word. Entailumi. Probably not correct, but don't judge me. Located about three-tenths of a mile from Farron's home and only Fulu blocks from the Lajero Police Department. Farron was pronounced dead at the hospital. Michael survived the attack, despite getting shot in the face, neck, and chest. Michael described his attacker as 26 to 30 years old. 195 to 200 pounds, or possibly even more. Five foot eight, white male, with short, light brown curly hair. Next is the first letters from the Zodiac Killer. On August 1st, 1969, three letters prepared by the killer were received at the Valero Times Heartland in San Francisco Chronicle and the San Francisco Examiner. The nearly identical letters, subsequently described by a psychiatrist to have been written by someone you would expect to be brooding and isolated, took credit for the shootings at the Lake Herman Road and Blue Rock Springs. Each letter also included one-third of a 408 symbol cryptogram. 408, not bad, excuse me. Oh well. <laughs> I'm tired, don't judge me. Which the killer claimed contained his identity. The killer demanded that be printed on each paper front where he would cruise sick. around all the weekend killing lone people in the night, then move on to kill again until. He ended up with a dozen people over the weekend. The Chronicle punished its third of the cryptogram on page four of the next day's edition. An article printed alongside the code quoted Valour Pace Chief Jack A. Stills as saying, We're not satisfied that the letter was written by the murderer and requested the writer send a second letter with more facts to prove his identity. The threatened murders did not happen and all three parts were eventually published. On August 7, 1969, another letter was received at the San Francisco Examiner with a salutation. Dear Editor, this is the Zodiac speaking. This was the first time the killer had used the name for identification. The letter was a response to Chief Stilt's quest for more details that would prove he had killed Fairway, Jensen, and Farron. In it, the Zodiac included details about the murderers that had not yet been released to the public. Normally, that didn't been released to the public, and he knows something, but eh, what do I know? <laughs> 
as well as a message to the police that when they cracked his code, they will have him. On August 8, 1969, Donald and Betsy Hardin of Salinas, California, cracked the 408-symbol cryptogram. It contained a misspelled message in which the killer seemed to the reference, Most Dangerous Game. The, also, the author already said that was collecting slaves for his afterlife. No name appeared in this decoded text, and the killer said that he would not give away his identity because it was slowed on a stop and slave collection. And the cryptograph pretty much said, From the Zodiac Killer, I like killing people because it's so much fun. It is more fun than killing wild game in the forest because men is the most dangerous animal of all to kill sometimes. It gives me the most thrilling experience it has ever been better than getting your rocks off with a girl. The best part of it is that when I will die, I will be born in paradise and all I have killed will become my slaves. I will not give you my name because you will try to slow down and stop my collection of slaves for my afterlife. Onward to the Lake Barisia murder. This takes place on a view of Lake Barisia. On September 27, 1969, Union Pacific College student Brian Hartnell and Cecilia Shepard were picnicking at Lake Barisia on a small island connected by a sand spit to Twin Oak Ridge. A white man about 5 feet 11 inches, weighing more than 170 pounds, approached them wearing a black I love it. <laughs> executioner's type hood with clip-on sunglasses over the eye holes and a big black device on his chest that had a white 3 by 3 inch cross circle symbol on it. He approached them with a gun, which Hartnell believed to be a 45. The hooded man claimed to be an escaped convict from jail with a two-word name in either Colorado or Montana. A police officer later inferred that the man had been referring to a jail in Deer Lodge, Montana, where he had killed a guard and subsequently sold a car, explaining that he now needed their car and money to travel to Mexico because the vehicle that he had been driving was too hot. The killer had brought pre-cut lengths of plastic clothesline and told Shepard to tie up Hartnell before he tied her up himself. The killer checked and tightened Hartnell's bonds after discovering that Shepard had bound Hartnell's hands very loosely. Well, he didn't want to hurt him. Chase. Hartnell attentively believed that his bent would be a bizarre robbery, but the man drew a knife and stabbed them both repeatedly. Hartnell suffered six and Shepard ten wounds in the process. The killer had hiked 500 yards back up to Knoxville Road, drew the cross circle symbol on Hartnell's car door with a black felt tip pin and rope beneath it. Behello 12-2068-7469. September 27th, 69-630 by knife. At 7.40 p.m., the killer called the Napa Sheriff's Office by the payphone to report this latest crime. Man, he reports his own crime. Oof, I don't know if that's good or bad. <laughs> The caller first stated that the operator that he wished to report a murder, no, a double murder, before stating that he had been 
the perpetrator of the crime. The phone was found still off the hook minutes later at the Napa car wash on Main Street, Napa, by Kayvon radio reporter Pat Stanley. Only a few blocks away from the sheriff's office, yet 27 miles from the crime scene, detectives were able to lift a still wet palm print from the telephone, but were never able to match it to any suspect. After hearing the victim scream for help, a man and his son, who were fishing in a nearby cove, discovered the victims and summoned help by contacting park rangers. Napa Country Sheriff's Deputy Dave Collins and Ray Land were the first law enforcement officers to arrive at the crime scene. Shepard was conscious when Collins arrived, providing him with a detailed description of his attacker. Hartnell and Shepard were taken to the Queen of the Valley Hospital in Napa by ambulance. Shepard lapsed into a coma during the transportation and never regained consciousness. She died two days later, but Hartnell survived to recount his tale to the press. Napa County Detective Ken Harlow, Narlow, sorry, who was assigned to the case from the outset, worked on solving the crime until his retirement from the department in 1987. And here we are in the Presido Heights murder, San Francisco from the Presido 1966. Two weeks later, on October 11th, 1969, a white male passenger entered a cab driven by Paul Stein at the intersection of Macy and Gary Streets, one block west from the Union Square in San Francisco. Requesting to be driven to Washington and Maple Street in Pasito Heights. For unknown reasons, Stein drove down one block past Maple Street to Cherry Street. The passenger then shot Stein once in the head with a 9mm handgun, took Stein's wallet, car keys, and tore away a section of Stein's blood-stained shirt tail. The perpetrator was observed by three teenagers across the street at 9.55pm. And then they phoned the police wife crimes was in progress. They observed a man wiping the cab down before walking away toward the Presido, one block to the north. Two blocks from the crime scene, patrol officer Don Fogg, Fook. either way it sounds like a cuss word, <laughs> and Eric Zelms responding to the call, observed a white man walking along the sidewalk east oh, excuse me, on Jackson Street and stepped onto the stairway leading up to the front yard of one of the homes on the north side of the street. The encounter lasted only 5 to 10 seconds. Folk est estimated the whole white male pedestrian to be 35 to 45 years old, 5'10 tall, with a crew cut similar to but slightly older than the description provided by the teenagers who observed. The killer in and out of Stein's cab, the teenager described the suspect to be 25 to 30 years old, with a crew cut and standing only approximately 5 feet 8 inches to 5 feet 9 inches tall. However, the police radio dispatcher had alerted officers to look up for a black suspect, so folk and Zelm drove past the perpetrator without stopping or knowing. The mix-up and descriptions remained unexplained. A search ensued, but no suspects were found. I'm going to say pursued. I'm not sure. And this was the last officially confirmed murder by the Zodiac Killer. The Strine murder was initially believed to be a routine robbery that escalated into a homicidal violence. However, on October 13th, the San Francisco Chronicle received a new letter from the Zodiac that claimed credit for killing and containing a torn suspect. A section suspect. <laughs> that would have sounded weird. Contained a torn... Um... 
suspect of Strang bloody shirt. Yeah, that would have sounded great. <laughs> okay, back to what I was doing. <laughs> a torn section of Strang's bloody shirt to provide this fact. The three teen witnesses worked with the police artist to prepare a composed sketch of the Strang's killer. A few days later, this police artist returned, working with the witnesses to prepare a second composite sketch. Detective Bill Armstrong and Dave Tuchke were assigned to the case. The San Francisco Police Department investigated an estimated 2,500 suspects from over a period of years. Now, you guys get to wait for part two, because I have a big day in the morning and I need to get some sleep. So, good night, my lovely fans and people listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode on the Butterfly Empire from the lovely Butterfly Queen. Hey, welcome to the Butterfly Empire. Well, I just want to let you guys know that I do have an Instagram now that is the Butterfly Empire podcast. So go follow me there. You know, do the usual, show some love, message me, let me know if you, you know, want to hear about a story, a murder, something in between. But until then, well, let's get started on part two of the Zodiac Killer. More letters from the Zodiac Killer. On October 14, 1969, the Chronicle received another letter from the Zodiac, this time pertaining a swatch of Paul Stein's shirt tail as proof he was the killer. It also included a threat about killing school children on the school bus. To do this, the Zodiac wrote, Just shoot out the front tire and pick off the kitties as they come bouncing out. At 2 p.m. on October 20, 1969, someone claiming to be the Zodiac called the Oakland Police Department demanding that one of the two primary lawyers, F. Lee Bailey and Maliv Billy, appear on AM San Francisco, a talk show on KGO TV hosted by Jim Dunbar. Bailey was not available, but Billy did appear on the show. Dunbar appealed to the viewers to keep the lines open. Someone claiming to be the Zodiac called several times, and Bailey asked the caller for a less ominous name, and the caller picked Sam. Bailey arranged a rendezvous to meet the caller outside a shop on Mission Street in Dolly City, but no one arrived. And this is one of the letters. I hope you're having lots of fun and trying to catch me. That wasn't me on the TV show, which brings up a point about me. I'm not afraid of the guest chamber. But it will send me to the paradise all the sooner, because I now have enough slaves to work for me, where everyone else has nothing when they reach paradise, so they are all afraid of death. I am not afraid, because I know that my new life is... Life is life will be easy one in paradise death. As y'all remember, as I said in the last one, he wasn't a really good speller in the way that he worded things, and also they were cryptid, so people had to figure out. I know, it's like translation another language to English language. Not all words run the same, or this and that. So, it's all jumbled, and I promise I'm not trying to make myself sound 
absolutely like a tart like I don't know what I'm saying but <laughs> I'm reading it off as it says it so yeah there you go on November 8th 1969 the zodiac mailed a card with another cryptogram consisting of 340 characters this cipher dubbed Z340 remained unsolved over 51 years. On December 5th, 2020, it was deciphered by an international team of private citizens, including American software engineer David Orkak, Australian mathematician Sam Blake, and Belgian programmer Jarl von Eek. I don't know. In the descriptive message, the Zodiac denied being the Sam who spoke on AM San Francisco, explaining that he was not afraid of the gas chamber because it will send me to paradise all the sooner. The team submitted their findings to the Federal Bureau of Inve Investigation, which verified the discovery. The FBI stated that the decoding message gave no further clues to the identity of the Zodiac. On November 9th, 1969, the Zodiac mailed a seven-page letter stating that two policemen stopped and actually spoke with him three minutes after he shot Stein. Experts from the letter were published in the Chronicle of November 12th, including the Zodiac's claim. The same day, Officer Don Fork wrote a memo explaining what had happened on the night of Stein's murder. On December 20, 1969, exactly one year after the murder of David Faraday and Betty Lou Jensen, the Zodiac mailed a letter to Belly that included another swatch of Stein's shirt. The Zodiac said that he wanted Belly to help him. The next on our list of the lovely paragraph is Contem... Oh, sorry. Doggo. Contemporary Public Speculation and Zodiac Claims The encryption left by the Zodiac Killer on the door of Hartnell's vehicle. Various authors speculated at the time of the killing that other murders may have been the work of the Zodiac, but none have been confirmed. Robert Domingos, 18, and Linda Edwards, 17, shot and killed on June 4, 1963, on the beach near Javita? There are some specific similarities between their attack and the Zodiac's attack on Lake Veravisa five years later. Cherry Joe Bates, 18, stabbed to death and literally decapitated on October 30, 1966, at Riverside City College in Riverside. Bates' possible connection to the Zodiac only appeared four years after her murder when San Francisco Chronicle reporter Paul Avery received a tip regarding similarities between the Zodiac killing and the circumstances surrounding Bates' death. Donna Lass, 25, last seen September 6, 1970, in State Line, Nevada, a postcard bearing an advertisement for Fort Pines condominiums near Incline Village at Lake Tahoe. Past uh, the back was received on the Chronicles on March 22, 1971. No evidence has been uncovered to connect Glass's disappearance with the Zodiac Killer. Kathleen Johns, 22, allegedly abducted on March 22, 1970, on Highway 132 near I-580 in an area west of Modesto. Johns escaped from a car of a man who drove her and her infant daughter around the area between Stockton and Patterson for approximately one and a half hours. 
This next part is just a report from Kathleen Johns, which was, again, she was 22, allegedly abducted on March 22nd, la dee So, here's her story of what she put and told. Okay, her report. On the night of March 22nd, 1970, Kathleen Jones was driving from San Bernardino to Petaluma to visit her mother. She was seven months pregnant and had her 10-month-old daughter beside her. While heading west on Highway 132 near Modesto, a car behind her began honking its horn and flashing its headlights. She pulled off the road and stopped. The man in the car parked behind her approached her car, stated that he observed that her right rear wheel was wobbling, and offered to tighten up the lug nut. After finishing his work, the man drove off. Yet, when Jones pulled forward to re-enter the highway, the wheel almost immediately came off the car. Oh, wow. So he, like, sabotaged her or something. Oh, dang. <laughs> the man returned, offering to drive her to the nearest gas station for help. She and her daughter climbed into his car. During the ride, the car passed several service stations, but the man did not stop. Um, warning sign much? For about 90 minutes, he drove back and forth around the back roads near Tracy. Um, I will be like, um, take me back where I was. I can do five mile by myself. When Jones asked why he was not stopping, ah, there it is. He would change the subject. When the driver finally stopped at an intersection, Jones jumped out with her daughter and hit, hid in a field. The driver searched for her using a flashlight, telling her that he would not hurt her before eventually giving up. Unable to find her, he got back into the car and drove off. Jones hitched a ride to the police station in Patterson. When Jones gave her statement to the sergeant on duty, he noticed the police composite sketch of Paul Stein killer and recognized him as a man who had abducted her and her child, fearing that he might return to kill them all. The sergeant had Jones wait in the dark at a nearby Mills restaurant when her car was found. It had been gutted and torched. Oh. Dude, okay, okay. Most accounts say that the man threatened to kill Jones and her daughter while driving them around, but at least one police report disputes that. Jones' account to Paul Avery on the Chronicle indicates that her abductor left his car and searched for her in the dark with a flashlight. However, in one report, she made her police, she stated that he did not leave the vehicle. Further Zodiac Communications The crosshair like symbol with which the zodiac signs its letter, which is a cross looking thing inside the circle. Zodiac continued to communicate with authorities for the remainder of the 1970s via letters and greeting cards to the press. In a letter postmarked April 20th, 1970, the zodiac wrote, My name is left a blank, followed by a 13 character cipher. The zodiac went on to the state that he was not responsible for a recent bombing of the police station in San Francisco, referring to the February 18, 1970 death of Sergeant Brian McDonald, two days after the bombing at the park station in Golden Gate Park. But added, there is more glory to killing a cop than a vacation, because a cop can shoot back. The letter included a diagram of a bomb the Zodiac claimed that he would use to blow up a school bus. At the bottom of the diagram, he wrote, Zodiac Killer... Symbol dot SVG equals 10, which the symbol is 
his circle and cross, whatever. Ten. Sensory Disco Police Department. Zero. Zodiac sent a greeting card, postmarked April 28, 1970, to the Chronicle. Written on the card was, I hope you enjoyed yourself and I have to my blast. Followed by the Zodiac's cross circle signature. Ah, so that's how you explain it, cross circle signature. <laughs> on the back of the card, the Zodiac threatened to use bomb, bus bombs soon, unless the newspaper published the full details that he had written. He also wanted to start seeing people wearing some nice Zodiac buttons. Little PCA. I will include all the images that go with all this on the Instagram. Which, remember, is the Butterfly Empire podcast on Instagram. Follow me, add me, and keep it up. In a letter postmarked June 26, 1970, the Zodiac stated that he was upset that he did not see people wearing Zodiac buttons. He wrote, I shot a man sitting in a parked car with a 38. The Zodiac possibly referred to the murder of the 25-year-old Sergeant Richard Raitick one week earlier at 5.25 a.m. on June 19th. Raitick was riding a parking ticket in a squad car when an assess- assailant Unrelated to the traffic violation, shot him in the head with a 38 caliber pistol. Through the closed door receipt window, Reddick died 15, hour, died 15 hours later. The San Francisco Police Department denies that the Zodiac was involved. The murder remains unsolved. Included with the letter was a Phillips 66, run by San Francisco Bay Area. On the image of Mount Diablo, the Zodiac had drawn a cross circle similar to those from previous conspiracies. At the top of the cross circle, he placed a zero, a three, six, and a nine. The company instructions stated that the zero was to be set to mag in. Included with the letter was a Phillips 66 roadmap of San Francisco Bay Area. On the image of Mount Diablo, the Zodiac had drawn a cross circle to those previous conspiracies. At the top of the cross circle, it placed a zero, a three, a six, a nine. The accompanying instructions stated that the zero was being to be set to mag in. I know I said that before, but I'm saying it again because I lost my place. Mm-hmm. The letter also included a 32-letter cipher that the killer claimed would, in conjunction with the code, lead to the location of a bomb that he had buried and set to detonate in the fall. The cipher was never decoded, and the alleged bomber was never located. The killer signed the note with the Zodiac Killer. His symbol, 12, San Francisco Police Department, 0. In a letter to the Chronicle, postmarked July 24, 1970, the Zodiac took credit for the Kathleen Jones abduction, four months after the incident. In a July 26, 1970 letter, the Zodiac paraphrased a song from the Makedo, adding his own lyrics and making it a little list of which ways in which he planned to torture his slaves in paradise. The letter was signed with a large, exaggerated cross-circle symbol and a new score. Zodiac killer symbol, 13. San Francisco Police Department, 0. A final note at the bottom of the letter stated, 
P.S. The Mount Diablo Code concerns radiation, radians plus number of inches along the radians. In 1981, a close examination of the radiant hint by the Zodiac research, Gareth Penn led to the discovery that the radiant angle, when placed over the map per Zodiac instructions, pointed to the locations of two Zodiac attacks. On October 7th, 1970, the Chronicle received a 3x5-inch card signed by the Zodiac with the Zodiac Killer symbol and a small cross reportedly drawn with blood. The card's message was formed by pasting words and letters from the edition of the Chronicle, and 13 holes were punched across the card. Inspectors Armstrong and Toshi agreed that it was highly probable that the card had been sent by the Zodiac. Letter to Paul Avery On October 27, 1970, Chronicle reporter Paul Avery, who had been covering the Zodiac case, received a Halloween card signed with the letter Z and the Zodiac's cross-circle symbol. Handwritten inside the card was a note, Peekaboo! You are doomed. The threat was taken seriously and was a subject of the front page story in the Chronicle. Soon after receiving the letter, Avery received an anonymous letter alerting him to the similarities between the Zodiac activities and an unsolved murder of Cherry Joe Bates, who had occurred four years earlier at the City College in Riverside in Greater Los Angeles area. More than 400 miles south of San Francisco, Avery reported his findings in the Chronicle on November 16, 1970. Riverside Murder, the main article, Murder of Cherry Joe Bates. On October 30, 1966, an 18-year-old, a student of Riverside Community College, Cherry Joe Bates, spent the evening at the campus library annex until it closed at 9 p.m. Neighbors reported hearing a scream around 10.30 p.m. Bates was found dead the next morning. A short distance from the library between two abandoned houses slated to be demolished for the campus renovations. The wires and her Volkswagen distributor cap had been pulled out. She was brutally beaten and stabbed to death. A man's Timex watch with a torn wristband was found nearby. The watch had stopped at 1224, but the police believe that the attack had occurred much earlier. The time written confession received by Riverside Police and the Riverside Press Enterprise, November 29, 1966. A month later, on November 29, 1966, nearly identical typewritten letters were mailed to the Riverside Police and the Riverside Press Enterprise titled The Confession. The author claimed responsibility for the Bates murder, providing details of the crime that were not released to the public. The author warned the Bates is not the first and she will not be the last. In December 1966, a poem was discovered carved into the bottom side of a desk in the Riverside Riverside City College Library, titled Sick of Living, Unwilling to Die. The poem's language and handwriting resembled of the Zodiac letters. It was signed with what were assumed to be initials R.H. during the 1970 investigation. Sherwood Morrill, California's top question documents examiner, expressed his opinion that the poem was written by the Zodiac. 
on April 30th, 1967, exactly six months after the Bates murder. Bates' father, Joseph, the press enterprise, and the Riverside police all received nearly identical letters and handwritten skull. The press enterprise and the police copies read, Bates had to die. There will be more. But the small scribble at the bottom was the link the letter Z. Joseph Bates' copy read, she had to die. There will be more. This time without the Z signature. On March 13, 1971, five months after Avery's article linked the Zodiac to the Riverside murder, the Zodiac mailed a letter to the Los Angeles Times. In the letter, he credited the police, instead of Avery for discovering his Riverside activity, but they are only finding the easy ones. There are a hell of a lot more down there. The connection between Sherry Joe's Bates, Riverside, and the Zodiac remains uncertain. Paul Avery and the Riverside Police Department maintain that the Bates homicide was not committed by the Zodiac, but did concede that some of the Bates letters may have been his work to claim credit falsely.